0: good evening everyone good to see you again this evening if you have your Bibles and you'd like to follow along with us we're going to be in the book of Jonah tonight the book of Jonah chapter 1 we don't usually connect reluctance to ministry and yet we live in this over idealized perception that people have of church leaders whether preachers or elders or deacons or teachers or whoever they may be, that we just assume that with this role comes this boundless energy and ready to do exactly what God says to do when God says to do it. Unfortunately, that's not always true, is it? And it's certainly not true in the life of Jonah. But what what I want to share with you as you're turning to the book of Jonah, a story about a man and his wife is sunday morning and wife walks in the kitchen he's sitting there at the table and she says you better get ready for church we're going to be late he said i'm not going to church today well what do you mean you're not going to church today give me a good reason why you're not going to church today he said i'll do better than that i'll give you two number one i don't like anybody up there at that church number two nobody up there at that church likes me and besides give me a good reason why i ought to go she said well I'll do better than that, I'll give you two. Number one, you know that God says you ought to go to church. Number two, you're the preacher. So, how would you feel if your preacher came in on Sunday morning and said, I really don't want to be here today? You know, when you read your Bibles, you notice that the Bible is so honest. And when it does, it presents its heroes, warts, and all. I mean, there's things about people of God that sometimes just have a hard time obeying and and when the Bible shows us this man Jonah and points out this character who really is a hard-headed preacher here's a man who doesn't want to do what God wants him to do now Jonah is a prophet and if you're looking for the book of Jonah it would be one of the last 12 books in your Old Testament. But Jonah, being a prophet, acts more like a non prophet Jonah acts more like a, an unbeliever than he does a prophet. I mean, what is a prophet like? Well, whatever Jonah's not like. Jonah would be the opposite of what you would expect as a prophet. Our text tonight comes from Jonah chapter one, and I'm gonna be reading well, the whole chapter because this chapter is just chock full of principles and the things that you and I would need and we can use today, the way it was written uh, many, many, many years ago. I'm reading from the New King James Version tonight. Now the word of the Lord came to Jonah, the son of Amittai saying, Arise, go to Nineveh, that great city, and cry against her. For their wickedness has come up before me. But Jonah arose to flee to Tarshish from the presence of the Lord. He went down to Joppa, found a ship going to Tarshish. So he paid the fare and went down into it to go, to, them, uh, to go with them to Tarshish from the presence of the Lord. But the Lord sent out a great wind on the sea, verse 4, and there was a mighty tempest on the sea so that the ship was about to be broken up. Then the mariners were afraid, and every man cried out to his God threw the cargo that was in the ship into the sea, to lighten the load. But Jonah had gone down into the lowest parts of the ship, had lain down and gone to sleep. The captain came to him and said to him, What do you mean, sleeper? Arise, call on your God. Perhaps your God will consider us that we may not perish. And they said to one another, Come, let us cast lots that we may know on whose cause this trouble has come upon us. So they cast lots, and the lot fell on Jonah. Then they said to him, Please tell us, for whose cause is this trouble upon us what is your occupation and where you come from what is your country and what are your people so he said to them i am a hebrew and i fear the lord the god of heaven who made the sea and the dry land then the men were exceedingly afraid and said to him why have you done this for the men knew that he fled from the presence of the lord because he had told them and then they said to him what shall we do to you that the sea may become calm for us for the sea was growing more tempestuous. And he said to them, Pick me up and throw me into the sea, then the sea will become calm for you. For I know that this great tempest is because of me. Nevertheless, the men rode hard to return to land, verse 13 says, but they could not, for the sea continued to grow more tempestuous against them. Therefore they cried out to the Lord and said, We pray, O Lord, please do not let us perish for this man's life. And do not charge us with innocent blood, for you, O Lord, have done as it pleased you. So they picked up Jonah, threw him into the sea, and the sea ceased from its raging. Then the men feared the Lord exceedingly and offered a sacrifice to the Lord and took vows. Now the Lord had prepared a great fish to swallow Jonah. And Jonah was in the belly of the fish three days and three nights. You might look back at verse 3, and you'll notice the first two words of verse 3 but Jonah so right there you don't expect those words from a prophet but those two words show us this is our first clue the first hint that this is a prodigal prophet here's a prophet who's running away from from God's will not wanting to do what God says says to do so he'd rather resign his prophetic office than to align himself with the will of God now he knows, as a prophet, you cannot run away from the presence of God. He knows that God is omnipresent. He knows those things about God, so he's not really trying to run away from God as he's trying to evade the service of God. Jonah didn't want to go to a place where God could use him. And so, but notice that he goes down to Joppa, and there's a ship there bound for Tarshish. And notice the first three words in verse 4. But the Lord... So the first two words in verse 3 shows us that Jonah is a runaway prophet, but the first three words are in verse 4 show us that you know, what we have now is a persistent God. Yeah, Jonah's running away, but God is a persistent God. So it says that God sent out a great win. And that's the same word. He set out. That's the same word that's used in Samuel when Saul on two occasions was insanely jealous of David and twice Saul took that javelin and he's hurled it with great force at David trying to pin him against the wall. And so that's the same word that's used here. God hurled this, this wind, this storm up on the sea and it's proof that God's in control even though Jonah's left Canaan. And so the author is already making some very strong points about disobedience, isn't he? Here's a few points, little sub-points to this. And that is, one thing about disobedience is it can be easily rationalized. Have you noticed that? Our disobedience is often easily rationalized. Now, where is Jonah? Where, Where is Jonah supposed to go? To Nineveh. Jonah does not want to go to Nineveh. Jonah goes down to Joppa well surely God really didn't mean for me to go to the enemy you know he goes down to Joppa and look look there's there's a ship down here this ship just happens to be going in the opposite direction to Tarshish Jonah just happened to have enough money to pay his fare and so the winds are favorable so Jonah is easily rationalizing this, this sin of his and, and so God's making the point that anytime time you want to run away from the will of God Satan will always provide the transportation. If your heart is bent on doing your will and not God's will the devil will always accommodate. He always has. Now it would make it possible for you to disobey God if that's what your heart's been on doing. And it can be easily rationalized. So much so that notice Jonah that he felt so good about his decision. What does he do? He goes down into the ship and he takes a nap, which is my second little sub point here. And that is you see, sin, disobedience has a way of numbing the conscience. And this is no small detail. Because Jonah's feeling pretty good about this decision. He's feeling okay. But I tell you something, you know, at first some, some people may disobey God, and at first you might not feel so guilty. And in fact, some people can be involved in sin, and it doesn't even bother them. But do you know why that is? It's because the conscience has become seared. And that's what sin does. Is sin kind of numbs the conscience, so it really doesn't bother me anymore. And then the third thing I want you to notice is that disobedience is always noticed. You see, God notices the disobedience. He noticed Jonah. He was paying attention. He was watching Jonah all the time. And so what happens is the fourth point about disobedience is so often, and I think this is the most tragic thing of of all, is that disobedience often involves others. In danger. What I mean by that is, is the the waves of the rebellious often crash over the decks of the innocent. I mean, you think about this. We've seen it, it maybe in our own lives. How many times have you sinned, and the sin didn't just hurt you, but it hurt somebody else? Or how many times have we have a we hear about a drunk driver who gets in his car because he thinks he's in control. But so many other people are hurt. Many people are killed because of that. Or how many churches suffer because the leaders don't spend time in prayer and in the Bible? So you see my point. The point is sometimes disobedience often involves others in danger. Well, these guys, these these sailors take off in favorable wind. But they don't get very far, do they? They get very very you no know, one don't get very far off before God says, okay, I'm gonna do something about this. And God does. Now, what, what do these men do? I think they do two things that are very commendable. Number one, they pray, and number two, they do everything that they can do to get that boat back to dry land. Now, somebody has said that there are no atheists at sea. There's an old saying, let him who knows not how to pray go to sea. And there's nothing like going to see them will teach you how to pray. I know because I've been there. One time I was in uh, Athens, Greece. Got on a ship that night around 10 o'clock, and we were going to go about 10, hour, 10 hours over to Brindisi, Italy. Just happened to be in a storm that night. I'd never been so sick in all my life. I don't want to ever be back out on a ship again in the middle of in the middle of the ocean and and it's storming I know that God can teach me and increase my faith in other ways but but each of these men began to cry to his own God verse 5 and you know that's consistent with the Old Testament because your God was the God of your land what God do you serve well where are you from where do you live now the captain in verse 6 goes down and finds Jonah asleep and And I think this is significant. He doesn't say, why aren't you up here helping us? What does he say? Why aren't you praying? See, why aren't you praying with us? Because somebody's God is bad at somebody on this boat. Jonah is not one of their number, and so he must serve a different God. Maybe if you will pray to your God, maybe at least we'll find an answer as to why we're in this danger. Now, verse 8, you know, they ask him, where are you from? Who's your God? And notice what he says, I'm a Hebrew. I fear the Lord, the God of heaven. Now, it's interesting that they take off from Joppa and the Palestine and favorable conditions. Everything seems to be great. And they, they know that Jonah's boarded this ship, but they don't know he's a Jew. They don't know where he's from. And so they have to ask him. So it makes me think that Jonah is really better qualified to be a missionary than he thought initially. He didn't want to go to Nineveh. He doesn't want to go there. Maybe he feared for his life, or I don't really know, but but I think he's qualified to be a great uh, uh, evangelist, a a great minister, a great uh, missionary, but he doesn't want to go. Verse 9, he explains, I'm a Hebrew, and I fear the Lord God. They've got to ask him about this. And notice the next question is, he said, I fear the Lord God, the God of heaven. Why did you explain you're the God of heaven? Because the next question is always going to be, well, what's your God the God of? Is it the God of the sun? Is he the God of the the water? Is he the God of the mountains? What is your God the God of? He explains he's the God of heaven. And where can you go to escape accountability of the God of heaven? Well, you're not. And notice what it says next, that he made the sea and the dry land. But notice he put the C first. Up to this point, it's very, very clear that Jonah is the cause of this trouble, this storm. And it's clear that he's running away. What's he going to do? So the problem now is Jonah is both the problem, but he's also the expert. He's the cause of the storm, but he also is the only one who knows that you know, what can be done. And I think at this point, the story comes to a crucial juncture because when they ask Jonah, well, what can we do? what was the answer the answer should have been you turn this boat around you get me back to Joppa I'm gonna get off this boat I want to get on another boat and go to Nineveh but that's not what he says no Jonah says throw me overboard I want you to notice Jonah has a perpetual death wish when you read the rest of the book of Jonah you'll find out Jonah wants to die just, you know, don't go back to the land. Just throw me overboard. He's got a death wish. And so what comes next at verse 15 I think is important because the raging sea grew calm when they threw him overboard. And the men greatly feared the Lord. They offered a sacrifice to the Lord. Now these men had been to sea a lot. They had seen this. They have seen sudden storms come up quickly. And you have too. Maybe you've been outside and you might have been on the water somewhere and a storm comes up or outside and the wind just comes up but you have never been out on this violent wave rocking sea and just like that it's peaceful calm nobody's experienced that nobody here anyway but they did water just settles down and when these sailors saw this they the Bible says they made vows to the Lord but notice when I have noticed a lot of people, and maybe you have too, but you know, sometimes when we're in a storm, when do people make vows to God? In the middle of the storm. God, get me off this boat. Or, God, get me off this plane. I had a guy tell me, it's been several years now. This is the year in 1998 when they planted a lot of corn, you know, in in Arkansas. And they had all this aflatoxin. And this guy, who's a member of the church, made a vow to God. He said, Lord, if you get me through this I promise I'll never plant corn again but you know what happened when corn went up he called me he said what am I going to do I said don't ever make a vow to God if you're not going to keep it but you know what that's what we do we make our vows people make vows to God in the middle of the storm but these guys made their vows after the storm after they had got you know after it was over and, and they made sacrifices, verse 16, and most likely, I don't, they may have not done this on the boat, I don't know, but the, you know, they made sacrifices, and it seems the, the, the writers indicating that this was a very serious commitment. So the question is, will we see these guys in heaven? I don't know, but, but it seems like they're very serious about this commitment. Maybe we will, I hope we do. Maybe they had ordered their lives around this new God. Someone uh, mentioned something about the book of Jonah about trying to figure out who the good guys are and the bad guys. It's interesting, isn't it? When you read through your Bibles, especially in the Old Testament, you know who the good guys are, right? And you know who the bad guys are. The good guys are the Israelites. The bad guys are people like the Philistines. But in the book of Jonah, it's kind of hard to figure out who's the good guy and who's the bad guy. The good guy seems like the bad guy. And the bad guys seems like the good guys. It's kind of hard to figure out who's who's who. And so I think the lesson, one of the lessons that God's teaching us is how to look at people. How do we look at people that we see on a day-by-day basis or when we even come to worship? So I think between the lines of this story is the subtle point that sometimes the insiders are sometimes outsiders. You know not all insiders are really truly insiders because a lot of times your insiders act and live more like outsiders that's one of the points I think we're seeing here so it's a paradox Uh, in this story there's no mention of Jonah or in this chapter anyway no mention of Jonah praying what are these sailors doing first thing they do is pray now here's this expert on God who does not want to obey God and here the sailors are, these pagans don't even know God but they're ready to obey God. Isn't that ironic? And so the one who knows about God, the one who can talk about God, the one who can preach about God doesn't want to pray to God, doesn't want to talk to God. He has the Word of God on his lips but he didn't have the the love of God in his heart. I mean, these men would do what they could do to help the man. And I, you know, this tension that you see, I think, all the way through the Bible, because you find in the Bible, in the life of Jesus, there were some people that Jesus confronted that they they would perceive themselves as insiders. You remember what Jesus called them? Oh, you look nice on the outside, but inside you're what? full of dead man's bones whitewashed tombs jesus said and so we get the story in luke 15 about the prodigal son the prodigal who ran away from home but is he the real prodigal of the story i mean really isn't there another one in the story who's really the prodigal that's right you see The prodigal, the one who ran away from home, seems like an outsider, but what did he do? He came to his senses. Verse 17, he came back home. He came back to God. But the one who stayed at home all the time, who was the insider, was acting more like an outsider because he didn't have love in his heart for people. And so we see that all the time. I think the, the point is obvious with this contrast with Jonah. They these men show compassion for Jonah he doesn't have compassion for people but they do And so God's making the point that now Jonah you need to rethink some of your bigoted prejudices about the people of the world now these pagans are idolatrous they're crusty old sailors but they're, they're really better men than you might think they are they do everything they can do to help a man out like a neighbor should do they're pious they're you know they're people of prayer And then they're open to truth. You see, they're open to the truth. I think there are people in the world that we meet that we might think they're not open to truth, but they're probably more open to the truth than we might even realize. So the story of Jonah is really not necessarily about the salvation of Nineveh as it is about the education of God's people. God's wanting to educate the people who read it first. He's trying to educate you and me So that you and I will start looking at people the way God does. That they do have potential. Now, nowhere does God make this point more clearly than in the life of Jesus. Over and over again in the life of Jesus, you find Jesus encountering different people. For example, there was a man walking down this 17-mile road from Jericho to Jerusalem. He's beaten up. He waylaid, thrown in the ditch, left to die. And along comes the insider. What does he do? He passes by on the other side. Then a priest, a Levite comes along, and what does he do? Another insider. He passes by on the other side. And then comes along another guy who is a foreigner, a Samaritan, a, a, a race that the Jewish people detested. And he stopped. He reached down and he helped the man in the ditch. You see, this outsider is doing what the the man should do and doing what the insider should have done. But then again, there's that story in the the priest, uh, the, the ten lepers. They were begging for mercy. Jesus showed mercy on them and healed them. Go show yourself to the priest they was walking away they realized that they were healed one came back to show himself to to express gratitude to say thank you who was he was he one of the insiders no he was a foreigner he was a Samaritan you see he was an outsider who's acting more like an insider then there's old Zacchaeus the very person that nobody ever thought would God or Jesus in flesh would spend time with it, but he's the very person that Jesus chose to go home with and have dinner, didn't he? isn't he? So, so what I'm saying is, this point is made over and over in the Gospels. Sometimes we, we, uh, we miss the point. And I'll, I'll show you one of those passages where we, I think the churches of Christ through the years have, have missed the point. Galatians 3:26 and 27 and 28 you're all the sons of God through faith in Christ Jesus for as many of you have been baptized into Christ have put on Christ, you've been clothed with Christ verse 28 there's neither Jew nor Greek, male nor female, bond or free. you're all one in Christ now for years we have gone to that verse and, and it pointed out that we're baptized into Christ and we are we are baptized into Jesus Christ, we are clothed with Christ And and The problem that I have seen in the past, not now, thankfully, I don't think as much now, is that in the years gone by, the congregation where I preach right now, back in the 60s, the mindset was, we don't mind if somebody of a different skin color comes here as long as they stay outside on the parking lot. That was the mindset of many brethren back then. That has changed now, thankfully, and we're not seeing that as much now, but they would use this verse, the verse that's pointing out baptism, but really, what's the point of the verse? The point of the verse is, is breaking down those racial walls, and that's what God's saying to Jonah, would you stop building walls where I'm trying to build roads? Because in Jesus Christ, we are one. Whether you're male or female, bond or free, it really doesn't matter if you're in Christ. And so, as we think about where we stand tonight, and as we read the book of Jonah, here's the question that's supposed to come back to you. Okay, are you ready? Who am I? That's the question that's coming to you this this evening, to me. Who am I in this story? Answer You're Jonah. That's exactly who you are. I'm Jonah. We are Jonah. God calls us to go to be a representative of a place that we might not want to go. And and you've got a choice. Will you choose Nineveh or will you choose Tarshish? Will you choose to obey God or not to obey God? So as you begin this journey, let me share with you three points as we close. And the first one is this. That life is really a series of choices the journey that we're on is all about choices why are you here right now you know why you're here because you chose to be here didn't you it's your choice why are you where you are in life because of your choices I know that some people have influenced our choices to some degrees but to some degree but really it's it's you you make the choices and i, I tell you all as human beings, I tell my students uh, in high school, they'll say something, they'll say, Can I do this? I say, You can. You can do anything that you want to do. But there's going to be consequences. You know, good or bad, there are consequences. And that's the same with you and me. Now you, can, you and I can do whatever we want, when we want, how we want, doesn't really matter. We can do it, but we don't get to choose the consequences. That's why it's important to think. Think about what we do before we, before we make that step. So life is a journey. It is about choices. And then number two, following God is demanding, but fleeing from God is disastrous. Following God is demanding. Fleeing from God is disastrous. What did Jesus promise us? A cross. He never said that being a Christian was always going to be so easy. I know it. My burden is light. He he did say that. But but at the same time, it's it's not impossible. But at the same time, it's going to be challenging. It's demanding. Being a Christian is. I mean, have you ever had God to hit you over the head with this? I mean, I have. I have. Because there's been times in my life where I, I wish that I would have noticed certain people and been more open to them than I was, which is my last point, and that is this. You see, along your pilgrimage, God has dotted your life with different people. I mean, there's been, God's put different people in front of you as you travel through this life. Be open and be ready. Be ready to talk to them because they're people who have a soul, people who need to be saved, people who need the good news of Jesus Christ. We've got to be open and we've got to be ready. Would you please bow your heads as we pray and close our lesson tonight? Almighty God, we're thankful that we serve you as the God of heaven and earth. We recognize you as the great and mighty God and thank you, thank you for educating us with this great story. Help us to see the Ninevites in our own lives and be ready and willing to share our faith with them, that they too may know the same joys that we know for being in Christ and living for Jesus. Help us to see people the way you see them. And thank you, Father, for dotting our pilgrimage with one potential insider after another. Help us to take the gospel to the ones that might think they don't deserve it, or we might think they don't deserve it, but they do. And we pray for those who are in the storm right now because, because of disobedience. We pray for those who have been thrown overboard. We ask for their deliverance. Even as you delivered Jonah from the belly of the fish, grant them repentance. You are the great deliverer, the mighty God, the one to whom we owe our greatest gratitude, especially for giving us your son, who was three days in the grave. We love you, and we love your son, Jesus. In Jesus' name we pray, amen.